welcome to Brain for Business, your podcast for all things brain, behavioral, and organizational sciences. It's great to have you with us. As always, to listen back to past episodes, make sure to check out our website, brainforbusiness.ie, and feel free to drop us a note via the website with any comments, feedback, or even questions that you might have. While we might all enjoy a magic trick or an intriguing sleight of hand by a magician, most of us, I'm guessing, prefer not to be actively deceived in our personal or professional lives. Yet, despite repeated calls in recent years for greater authenticity in leadership, there are still leaders who rely, perhaps, on the magician's tools of deceit and manipulation to further their personal agenda. To better understand the way that magical processes can be used and, indeed, abused by leaders, it is a real pleasure to welcome Professor David Hanna to Brain for Business. David Hanna is an award-winning researcher and teacher and presently an Associate Professor of Management at the Beattie School of Business at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. David's research and teaching focuses on how individuals at work can cope effectively with the challenges and dilemmas of organizational life and how they can help others to do so too. Dave, it's great to speak to you. Thank you, Lawrence. A pleasure to be here. Let's maybe start at the beginning, if if that's okay. Where did your interest in magic and, and magical processes come from? Uh, well, I've always been interested in falsity in organizational life. And uh, I do a lot of management training. And one topic I'd often talked about that resonated with many of my students was being on teams or projects or committees where you figure out partway through the process that the committee chair or team leader has an agenda, that this is not actually an honest process. This is a process where the task is to come up with the right answer. And I would share that example and it resonated with everybody, many of the people I taught. And it was when I was talking to a colleague in marketing, actually, who talked about his interest in the psychology of magic. And he said, there's all this very interesting research over there, and we're really not applying it to the organizational world as much as we could. And some of the videos I like watching it on YouTube are Penn and Teller's Fuller videos, where they, they have magicians and come, <laughs> they come and do an act. And then Penn and Teller says, oh, we either figured the trick out or you fooled us. And I, always, I, I like watching those clips. So this was a real pleasure for me to dig into this research on the psychology of magic and apply it to processes and organizations. If we build upon that then, what are those perhaps magical processes that you've been looking at? You know, what, what characteristics define them? Well, a process is any planned action or series of actions in an organization that are directed towards a goal. And they include meetings and committees and projects and task forces. Many of the things that can dominate our lives and organizations and that are often necessary parts of an effective um, organizational functioning. But magical processes are a little bit different. First of all, they are performative. This means that they're designed and delivered with an audience in mind. And the goal is influencing that audience in a way that benefits the process designer. Second, the actual goal of the process is known to that designer, but it's deliberately concealed from the audience and from other outsiders. 
The third part is that whatever's going on the, in the process, the activities appear to be aligned with the fake goal, but they're actually aligned with the hidden goal of the process designer. So in that sense, there's elements of, of deceit. So someone is, is consciously hiding what they really are attempting to do, or what their real objective is. But then if I'm hearing you correctly, also elements of manipulation that the that person who is doing that is is using this as a way to manipulate others to support them in achieving what they want to rather than the stated overarching goal is that fair that's exactly right yes uh, and if we we take that then are there different types of magical processes in organization so is there a difference between something say a leader might do as opposed to a member of a team as opposed to someone working maybe with an external stakeholder or where there isn't any kind of direct power relationship? That's a good question. Uh, we focus largely on the processes initiated by leaders within organizations and with the goal of fooling their internal audiences. So yes, these you know, our ideas could certainly apply to uh, external fooling, but that's not our focus in the paper. Okay. And and so in, in, internally then, you know, are there different ways that, that leaders would, would utilize or could utilize these processes? And I'm not for a moment suggesting that, hey, everyone, here's, a, here's some tips on what to do, but you know, are there differences in how they're applied? Yes. Uh, we talk about some of this is uh, functional for organizations. So we call that justified deception. And an example might be the protection of trade secrets in organizations where you have a secret formula or recipe or manufacturing process, and you want to conceal that, and you may mislead um, in order to keep that information concealed. So that would be something that's good for organizations. Mm. This is in contrast to the falsity uh, that's involved in dysfunctional magical processes and we think those are the ones that we really need to attend to because they have the potential to um, not only cause processes to fail they can actually bring down organizations or even cause just widespread cynicism and frustration among organizational members so if, if that's the case if as you said they can bring down organizations or lead to frustration and cynicism why do some, let's say, leaders utilize these approaches? Great question. Uh, a, a couple of things come to mind. One is a, a uh, they'll often work to achieve leaders' aims over the short term. Uh, so they, they will move a team towards what the leader thinks will work and uh, will be effective for the organization. And then the leader may be wrong. Yeah. I think a second reason they do it is because um, it can sometimes heighten their own standing, right? I'm in charge, I'm the boss, um, and you enact a magical process, and it may people will really defer to you because some of the things we may talk about shortly, some of the specific ways that they mm. um, make these processes happen can make people very dependent on the process leader, thus heightening their own authority. Also, a third thing I should mention, they may genuinely believe sometimes that this will be good for the organization. Okay. So there is that element of deception and, and a falsity, but sometimes there may be leaders who genuinely believe this is a good thing for the company. 
As you're talking there, uh, the example that keeps flashing into my mind, and, and I'd be keen to get your thoughts on this, is Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos, where so it appears, and I haven't really looked into her biography in that much detail, but it appears almost of this desperation to be successful and stumbling across something that seemed superficially perhaps to make sense and yet was blown out of all proportion in terms of its purported efficacy by you know sleight of hand and and, and ultimately manipulation of people internally um, board members stakeholders and so on is that a fair example uh i believe so lawrence yes and theranos is one of the companies that we cite in the paper as having been involved in a number of magical processes for those who may not be familiar with the company so the Theranos basically said, we've come up with a new way of, I think it was, was it measuring blood pressure or what? Uh, I'm blanking at the moment. Um, and we're going to do it incredibly efficiently in a way that only needs a very small amount of blood. So it's probably not blood pressure. You don't need blood I think it was t- testing for viruses and diseases and things, wasn't it? Something uh, along those lines. Something along those lines, yeah. yes. Um, and so they said, we've got this new technology. It's going to be uh, incredibly effective, very efficient. We only need a tiny amount of blood, but it was all a lie. They never had that technology. So they did things like uh, literally hiding areas of the manufacturing from some employees, as well as any outsiders who would tour it. They would have big parties um, at one point when they received a, an okay from um, a government agency, they threw a big party and played You Can't Touch This, the song over speakers, and we're all dancing around to it, creating a big spectacle about it. So yes, Theranos is a perfect example of a company that has had some elements of magical processes and ultimately paid the price for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you suggested, we might come to, to some of the, the mechanisms of, of how these magical processes work in a moment. But, but but just to follow up on that Theranos example, do magical processes or can they also perhaps function at a at a country level? So, I mean, theoretically, could could the leader of a, of a country, a prime minister, a president or whatever, also apply these processes? Oh, I'm putting you on the spot uh, here, Dave. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. I mean, theoretically, yes. Uh, one of the steps in the process is, as you alluded to, is concealing. So there's there's something hidden. And I would guess sort of the bigger the entity gets, the more difficult it's going to be concealing things from everybody. Yeah. Um, but not impossible. Um, you know, we've heard of conspiracies and nations where something is hidden from everyone. And perhaps what's going on in the United States right now is there's a large controversy over some documents that Donald Trump had taken with him to Mar-a-Lago. And were those things being hidden from external audiences? I don't know, I'm speculating. But in theory, yes, Lawrence, these could operate on larger levels like nations. It would just probably be more difficult to enact a magical process successfully at that level. Yeah, that makes sense. So can you then tell us a little bit about the the mechanisms by, by which these processes work? We, we talked there, or you, you alluded there to, to concealment, but you know, what are the different uh, elements of the, the mechanisms? We talk about four steps in the paper, and thankfully, they form the acronym CARD, C-A-R-D. So we, <laughs> we, we call these the CARD tricks. 
And the C stands for concealing, as we just discussed. So something is hidden from the audience. So a famous magic trick was the rabbit in the hat. And when that was first performed, rabbits were hidden in the bottom, in a false bottom of a hat. Uh, magicians also use masking where they block an audience's view of something and will direct their eye gaze. They will literally look where they want audiences to look. Same thing happens in organizational life. So one example we talk about is CEOs meeting with their boards. They sometimes put really important items at the very end of an agenda, knowing that the boards may not get to them or will just discuss them in a very perfunctory way. So that's the first step, and that's concealing. Uh, the second one is attracting attention. So the, the I made you look step. So magicians have a lot of technique to catch the eyes of audience members, a cute object like a rabbit or a dove or a bright light or a black card among red ones. And business leaders may create spectacle, for example, to attract audiences' attention. Uh, in the, the original iPhone launch, it was revealed afterwards of, that uh, the phone was crashing behind the scenes and people were frantically trying to, uh, to keep that from showing. But there was this wonderful spectacle out front that was attracting everyone's attention. And we mentioned the big party that Theranos had thrown. Uh, WeWork, another organization with a disastrous IPO, was known for its lavish spectacles, hosting thousands of people in fields and having famous stars coming and perform. So this is the attracting of attention. Uh, next, it's keeping the attention. So this is retaining. So we've got concealing, attracting attention, then retaining attention. Magicians will often keep audience members' attention by saying, oh, by implying or stating, something great is just about to happen. Organizations will do the same thing. Yeah, Something amazing is just around the corner, everybody. Uh, you're, you're so lucky to be a part of this, this project, this organization. So if you just keep looking over here, you're going to see something amazing shortly. A fourth step, D, the D in card, directing behavior. This is where magicians either directly or indirectly manipulate what audience members do. So, you know, take a card out of here, put it back in over there, uh, walk over there, stand there. Uh, leaders of processes may do the same. They can overwhelm members with meetings, with information, with requirements, um, tell them to, you know, to um, analyze this or not that. And one consequence that often happens is if their audience members, the audience members, the process members, if they're overloaded with all this information, let's say, I'll go along with whatever you demand. So that's the C-A-R-D, concealing something, attracting attention, retaining attention, and directing behavior. It strikes me as well that, you know, some of the, if you link that back to one of the points you, you made earlier, that if a leader seems to be getting initial success whether there is real success or or not then it's so much easier for an organization member to go okay this maybe sounds a bit odd but you know what they've been right about everything else so we'll 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 follow that so that that in itself can kind of act almost to conceal and also to attract the attention and uh, and retain the attention as well yeah, that's a really good point. It's something we don't talk about in the paper, but I think a couple of initial successes may be really helpful for someone directing magical processes for exactly the reason you've just explained. 
yeah. okay, this, this person really seems to know what they're doing. So I'll just, uh, I'll let them I'll, uh, keep doing their thing. Yeah. And I guess particularly if someone has a vested interest, obviously people would be paid by salaries, but if they've got shares in the company and, and everything seems to be going well in terms of shares, it's very easy just to sit back and go along for the ride until, as we saw, say, with Theranos, it crashes. But equally, you mentioned the Apple and the iPhone, that initial launch might have been a bit shaky, but actually it all worked out in the end. Yes, exactly. You know, the, the iPhone was an example of uh, you know, something being concealed that was good for the organization in the end, as you said. But yeah, as, as long as I, if I'm part of the process and I think, oh, this is, this is good, right? I, I like where this is going, we may be more likely to, to switch off, to reduce our, we talk about vigilance in the paper and the importance of maintaining vigilance. Uh, but anything that makes us switch off, including this seems to be in good hands and it's going the way I want it to that's aligned with my interests. Yeah, make will make us more likely to switch off and just let someone do their thing. And with that then, are there other things that um, that people can do to to maybe you know detect these magical processes or maybe to inoculate against them if uh, we're, we're being particularly cynical? Yes, we talk about red flags in the paper, so things to things that may signal that a magical process is going on. One is to look for all four of the steps, so all parts of the card tricks. If they are all happening there may be a magical process uh, going on. Another one we, we talked about a minute ago is that if you're being overwhelmed with information, uh, that may be a sign again, that someone wants you overburdened, doesn't want you vigilant. Um, a third one is if there's too much patter, not enough substance. So magicians have their patter. So if you have a process leader who's talking in terms of high-minded goals or empty slogans and is not filling in enough of the substance of why this is going to work, how this is going to work, that may be a red flag as well. I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, perhaps with the, the exception of, of, of the iPhone, which, as we said, kind of worked out okay in the end, um, the, the examples that we've touched on, so um, Theranos or, or WeWork, have ended up being complete messes, complete disasters. But can magical processes also actually be beneficial? Is there is there a role for magical processes in the the toolkit of an effective leader? Yes, yes. And I, I took a quick peek down in my notes, and Theranos was about blood testing. So you were you were right about that when I forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, we talked about earlier the example of trade secrets. So there, there can be these occasions where they are justified in concealing things from the organizational members. One of the tests uh, should for, for organizational leaders might be, though, what will happen when the, if the concealed purpose is revealed at some point? Will my stakeholders, you know, I mean, my organizational members, my managers, my uh, my stockholders, will they understand why the process was done in this way? So what that may come down to, Lawrence, is was the agenda genuinely to help the organization as opposed to was it a self-serving agenda? 
And that's probably the key. If the agenda is genuinely to help the organization, the magical process may be justified. As you said, you know, a prime example would be maintaining or, you know, concealing, for want of a better word, trade secrets so that, you know, we can all understand why someone would do that. Um, and there's a very good reason, even if maybe it might not necessarily work out so well in the end. Isn't there, though, a challenge when we put those points about magical processes next to the broader discussion about, for example, authenticity and how that might play out. That's actually someone, even if they're doing it for the right reasons, it's really detracting from their authenticity as a leader. Um, I would say maybe. Um, there, There have to be limits on the authenticity of a leader's actions and if your um, if your listeners are interested they could they could follow up on a, a paper by uh, Hermini Ibarra from the Harvard Business School called the authenticity paradox where she writes about you know, we want our leaders to be authentic but on the other hand they can't be shouldn't be completely authentic uh, the example one example that has always stuck with me from that paper is a leader shouldn't share every doubt that they have with their subordinates. Sharing all the doubts would be very authentic. But the subordinates would say, what the heck? We want someone who's more confident and who believes in what they're doing. I think that this might be an example that fits in that category of justified inauthenticity, where yes, it is not authentic, but it is good for the organization if the leader does that. And it reminds me of, of a story, I think it was my wife uh, may have once heard on some leadership development program where, you know, apparently um, Nelson Mandela was flying on a small plane in South Africa and they hit um, severe turbulence and everyone started panicking except for Mandela, who just sit, sat there calmly and, and serenely. And and after the flight, when they're all on the ground, someone said to him, you know, Madiba, weren't you, weren't you worried? He said, of course I was worried. I was terrified. But I knew that if I let everyone else see that, then it would have only made the situation worse. So it was consciously stepping away from the authenticity for a greater purpose, hopefully, um, and, you know, leaning into a degree of, you know, deceit, but again, for a greater purpose. Oh, what a great example. I, I'm I'm taking that one, Lawrence, for my leadership I, I don't know classes, if, it's, if, I don't know if it's true. I think it's a great story. <laughs> I would like to think it's true. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so... If someone was listening and they they felt that you know they were working for someone who, who was apl- perhaps applying some of these magical processes in in the wrong way, so for you know deceitful purposes, uh, we we talked there about how they might uh, detect them. But are there certain things that they should do? Is, is it a matter of just recognizing it and either tolerating it or walking away, or uh, are there uh, recommendations that you could perhaps suggest? Yes, we, we go through five, uh, five ways, five things that managers should do um, if they're concerned about this happening. Uh, seek the hidden purpose is the first one. What, okay. what, what is in the interest of the process owner? Often we can take a look at the process owner and say, okay, why are they doing this? Do they have a personal agenda here? Also resist the shiny object. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, this wonderful mission or this wonderful purpose um, I'm very excited by this. This aligns personally with, with my values. Um, so great, I'll just go along with it. 
but uh, resist that. Ask what's going on here. Uh, be vigilant. One thing people hate to do, Lawrence, is like look at the terms of reference of committees, for example, and uh, but look at things like that, right? Uh, what's the mandate of a committee? What are the terms of reference? Um, what information are we getting? And there is a the uh, Thinking Fast and Slow book, one of the classic treatises on decision making. Uh, it talks about the what you see is all there is, decision making error. And so that's one of Kahneman's most famous insights. And that's that we look at something and we say, oh, this is all of the information in the world it's been put in front of me. We don't ask, what am I missing? Mm. And I think that's a really important way of being vigilant when it comes to our processes. Because sometimes people will put information in front of us that they want us to see. Instead, we should be saying, what information is necessary for making an excellent decision in this process? And then make our own decisions, make our own judgments. The final thing we suggest is, you know, what would happen if in a magic act, another magician came up to the stage and said, oh, I can see what's going on here. You know, you're fooling them in this way. You're hiding this. You're attracting attention over here. So this is a point about leveraging expertise, right? Bring in people who are experts, who can, like that magician, See what information you need, what information you're missing might be better than you at resisting a shiny object or finding the hidden purpose behind what's going on. And I can only hope that, you know, if someone were to bring in that second magician or that expert, that it doesn't end up as I can imagine it would be if someone were at a you know a Las Vegas show with a magician that uh, the crowd would probably start booing that second magician saying shut up we're here to listen to to the show we're here to be um uh, to, we're here to be entertained and so please go away so I would only could only hope that that isn't the case in the, in a real life situation in an organization. <laughs> I would hope so too. Uh, I think one of the differences between when we're in Vegas or wherever, we want to be entertained. We're in on the trick. And I think that's one of the critical differences. In organizations, if, if we're in on the trick, you know, if we knew this was hype or whatnot, we might be fine with it. But if we're not in on the trick, yeah, then we're not going to boo the person with expertise. We're going to say, thank goodness that you have come along and you have revealed this hidden agenda in this magical process. It makes a huge amount of sense. Um, Dave, if people want to find out more about your research, where can they go? Well, this paper will be forthcoming in the journal Business Horizons um, on a special issue of organizational falsity. Uh, they can also reach out to me uh, at uh, the Beatty School of Business at Simon Fraser University. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn as well, but I'll be, uh, I'll be happy to a liaise with folks who are curious and I can uh, send you my email address, but it's just my first initial and last name, Deanna at sfu.ca. Okay, fantastic. Professor David Hanna of uh, Simon Fraser University, great speaking to you today. My pleasure, Lawrence.